0: Listen to someone else, you are not losing your own story. You are giving space for somebody else's and trust that by listening to somebody else that you are giving a tremendous gift and it's a gift that will be returned to you.
1: Dr. Kelsey Crow is founder of Help Each Other Out, a nonprofit that educates people in empathy during difficult times using talks, workshops, and interactive games. She is also co author of the book, There Is No Good Card for This What to Do and Say When Life is Scary, Awful, and Unfair to the People You Love. Called A Wonderful Crash Course in Humanity 101 by Elizabeth Gilbert, the book guides the reader and how to be present when a loved one is going through a time of suffering or loss. Considering the cultural climate, I thought Kelsey would be the perfect person to guide me in this project. My name is Graham High. I'm a straight white guy. After the 2016 US presidential election, I realized that there was a lot of talking and not a lot of listening, especially from people like myself. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm just a guy who wants to understand people who are different from me, who live lives that aren't like mine. People like Kelsey. This is Straight White Guy Listening.
0: Uh, you know, I started this because I'm such a bad listener <laughs> by nature. Um, I always say I'm a Sagittarius from Brooklyn, and our kind are not known for being super empathic and in tune to others. And uh, just for various reasons, I wanted to get better at it. So it's been a practice for me. So I always say, if I can do it, anyone can do it.
1: You said you're a Sagittarius from Brooklyn. Can you kind of give us your story to tell us how you got to this point
0: now? Sure. Um, well, you know, my interest in listening evolved burst out of an interest in figuring out ways to support people who are in a difficult time like with loss or illness or divorce kind of any hard time where you don't know what to say or do and so you might just turn away and not do anything because you don't want to make the situation worse you feel very self-conscious and uh, I started that because A friend of mine in graduate school uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was the typical case where we hadn't been in touch for a while and I didn't know if I should reach out or not. And that bugged me um, a lot, I think, because I'd been through my own difficult times and I didn't always feel understood or have opportunity to share my story. And just because I didn't feel understood doesn't mean that I was then a great natural listener for somebody else. And so I wanted to learn for myself, and I figured if I have this problem, then probably other people do too. And the work is really about helping people connect when it's emotionally difficult to do that. And so fast forward uh, with from my initial interest, which is what can you say, what can you do, to realizing it's actually not trying to fix someone's situation, not trying to say the perfect thing or do the perfect thing, but above everything else, to listen. And I had to hear that over and over and over again uh, before I could really believe it.
1: Uh, How did you get to that point? Uh, What kind of taught you that rather than saying the right thing, that listening is the answer?
0: You know, I did, uh, for this book I wrote, There's No Good Card for This, What to Do and Say When Life is Scary, Awful, and Unfair. Um, I did a lot of research, open-ended survey questions, and it got legs. It was online, and a lot of people responded where, to questions where I asked what worked and what didn't to get you through your difficult time. And a lot of people describe Listening. But again, being a New Yorker, you know, we tend to be very busy. We, we pride ourselves on moving fast and quickly. And the notion of listening, despite what I kept hearing from my data, seemed too passive, honestly. I wanted to sort of embark on something that was conversation and um, also just favoring arguing, generally, you know, for fun. Um, but then I got breast cancer in the course of working on this book, and myself experienced the profound value of listening. And a woman that I had interviewed, whose daughter had severe special needs, said something that really resonated with my experience. She said, people think that when you're listening, you're not contributing to the conversation. But in fact, listening is the best gift that I could ever hope for. And I found that I remembered the people most who listened, who said the least. I think we all want to feel that we're making a mark, that we're contributing, that we're adding value and in conversation. That means putting forward opinions and ideas. And we don't understand how much simple listening Is a part of that dialogue and how memorable it is. Um, So it was in the course of my own experience with being listened to and not being listened to that I came to really recognize its value. It's not just that someone's hearing you. When someone's hearing you, they're often anticipating a way that they'll respond to you before you even finish talking. What listening means is really paying attention to what that person is saying and not being preoccupied with what you are going to say next. And I think that the value of not thinking about what you're going to say next is that you don't have a predetermined idea of what someone's reality is that they're communicating to you and it also helps you to suspend judgment because when you're thinking about how you're going to respond you're kind of calibrating what somebody's saying and you're kind of putting some angle to it and when you're doing that the person talking doesn't feel as trusting a lot of times when we're sharing something particularly vulnerable our biggest fear is that we will be judged around it When someone isn't judging you for what you're saying, it can be a very relaxing, calming, trust-building experience.
1: Even while I'm listening to you, I'm trying to think of the next thing to ask. So, and I think most people, even when they're best-intentioned, like, oh, maybe I can relate. Maybe I can say, oh, I read about that. How do you stay present? How do you not try to jump to the next thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, well, and you're right now like in a tricky situation because you're trying to co-create with me an understanding of a concept um, that we're building together. But say you want to just simply understand someone else's experience. The best follow-up questions that you can ask are things that show further interest in that person's perspective. So rather than saying, oh, I read something about that, which then brings it back to you and what you think you know based on this thing that you read, say, what's that like for you? That's a great, great question to ask in any situation. To say, what's that like for you? suggests total humility I don't know anything about your experience, I'm interested in your experience, and that's it. So I really recommend that. Uh, You can say, tell me more, you can feel a little self-conscious, right, you can kind of start feeling like you're putting on some therapist hat and you're not a therapist. At the same time, if you practice it enough, you realize, actually, this is just good listening. (laughs) So let me practice this not as some wannabe professional, but just as a human being uh, who's really trying to practice letting someone else, inviting someone else to speak their truth. And uh, so those are just two key tricks.
1: You were saying before that we want to contribute. We want to have something to say. And I think a lot of people would say that just listening in itself feels, like you said before, passive. Yes. What, what is the value of listening? What, why should we listen? I think what I'm trying to say is, uh, what's the point?
0: Mm-hmm. What's the point? Well, I think, especially now in society, and many people are not feeling heard. It sounds so basic, but when we feel heard, we build trust. And the more trust that we have with other people, the more we care for each other. And if we wanna build a caring, concerned society, we need to figure out a way, not only to tell our story, but to hear the stories of others. And there's really no other way forward. There's ways that we think that we're listening, and we're not really listening. So do you mind if I go into some of the non-listening styles? So I have six non-listening styles. And we are all, you know, culprits. We'll all do at least one of these styles. And one of them is the optimist. The person who says, oh, I'm sure it's not that bad. And that can happen, for example, when a woman is describing some kind of sexism in the workplace. Oh, I'm sure they didn't mean that. And of course, on the one hand, they want to try to help by reducing someone's paranoia. <laughs> but when someone is called, considered paranoid, every time they voice what is in fact a reality, uh, it's, it makes you feel marginalized and less trusting. So really important to not try to put an optimistic spin on it and say, I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure they just meant this. Then there's also the sage the person who's always trying to issue wise advice. And this person may say, you know what? I think there's a lot to learn from this. What kind of personal resilience can you develop with this obstacle? Because this kind of stuff happens to people all the time, right? So a white man may say, hey, I get insulted in the workplace. There are times when I feel humiliated. We all just have to learn to roll with this. But what a woman might be describing even though it's her personal experience, is an example of a systemic problem that she will be encountering on a regular basis in addition to the day-to-day humiliations that many of us can experience in the workplace. So if you try to put on this sage, we all have to learn to roll with the punches perspective, It can feel very discounting of the additional obstacle that that person is facing, so no optimism. You know, I'm sure they didn't mean this, or at least he didn't try to grope you, (laughs) right? And no sage, wise advice. And then another mistake that we often make is the epidemiologist, where they may start to ask a lot of questions about your situation. Well, why did you do this? Well, why did you do that? Well, what do you think he said here? Well, maybe. If you thought about it, could he have meant this? And we think we're showing interest, right? We're engaging in the conversation. But what winds up happening is the person sharing their personal experience starts feeling judged because you're trying to organize that experience into categories that you understand. And it also derails the conversation into uh, something that you, the epidemiologist, wants to know. And it may not actually be what's relevant and most meaningful for this person. So that's another non-listening style to avoid. Um, There's a few others, but I think those are key ones. Uh, And instead, when you notice that impulse to do that, which we all share, stop yourself. Recognize, I know I'm thinking I'm contributing to the conversation doing this, but in fact, I'm just going to be shutting the other person down. Instead, even though it feels uncomfortable, even though I'm not used to it, let me just try to ask, what was that like for you?
1: So I talk to some other straight white guys Uh about this show. Uh And I say, hey, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try not to talk as much as I can. And... Usually, it's mostly supportive and interested. But the other thing that I noticed, too, is sometimes we get defensive when we aren't the person sexually harassing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. When
1: we aren't the racist on the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're working hard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We deserve a chance to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How does that factor in when you, don't, you feel like your problem's Deserve to be heard. You aren't the one at fault.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a two-way issue. If you're, say, a woman or a person of color, or you know, other gender identity, and you have been marginalized in some way, you feel that your story isn't the one that's told very often, and that's totally true, you know who's writing the Hollywood scripts, who's running the government, who's running the companies. Uh, So it is important that we get to share our story for sure. But I do think, and this is something I want to continue to explore in my own work, that the human to human encounter where you are not the system, you're Graham with your own life story your gram with your own hurts (laughs) and vulnerabilities and with your own experiences of being bullied or whatever it is, that it's upon me as a woman to say, I don't want to take away from your history, of personal history, of hurt or pain and... I do want to share some of mine. Does that make sense? And I think that showing that you as a woman, for example, in my case, that I see your humanity, and now I need you to see mine. And mine involves a system that doesn't include you. Does that make sense? Uh, And I think that's why a lot of white men have a hard time with this PC-ness, because they're being told how to feel. And I think in some cases it can be very dismissive of people's personal history, regardless of whether the system uh, is oppressive. As individuals, they may not be. Uh, So I think it's incumbent upon us to really recognize and affirm that, as we try to lift up our own stories. As the white man who becomes really defensive, you may not hear that caveat when someone's sharing their story. But very often, that person knows this. They just aren't thinking to articulate it. And we have to believe that when somebody else's experience is elevated uh, through the personal sharing of it, that doesn't have to diminish our own history. We don't have to... There's not compassion, right, where we care for each other. It's not like it's a limited pie. It actually grows. So that you as a white man, the more compassion that you can give me, which means suspension of judgment, trusting my story, listening deeply, caring, the more you give me, the more you receive from me. It's not some abstract limited amount that's just doled out all to me and then there's less for you. It doesn't happen that way. But it can feel that way. In the moment it can feel that way and it can get you pretty pissed off.
1: If I don't agree Mm -hmm. with somebody, if I don't necessarily see eye to eye with them, but I'm still listening to them. How do you enter a judgment-free...
0: Yeah, yeah, really, really important. You know, there's a real distinction, and people have made them, between, let's just say, conversation and persuasion. And there's even just light etiquette books on conversation, especially that emerged, uh, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that were just little etiquette guides on to have a nice talk and in these little books what's described is the ways to just build connection and that connection through conversation is not about winning an argument in fact that can hamper connection so instead you try to invite asking questions and invite responses that someone is an expert to talk about so if your goal is to just have a conversation where you are connecting to build rapport, then don't even think about trying to have an argument. You may disagree with what someone says, but practice sitting with that. Does that make sense? Practice sitting with that because the goal in every individual encounter that we have, should not be always to win the argument. Sometimes it's just to build trust and rapport. And we know that in so many areas of our lives. You know, my neighbor may have an opinion about certain flowers that he likes. They're my least favorite. They're crawling over my walls. I don't say anything. I just say, I'm so glad you like those. I'm just trying to build rapport. It's not being inauthentic. It's just not getting into an argument every time. And I think we need to figure out when is the time to argue and when is the time to just build rapport. So that's what I would say as a white man that's trying to listen to other people. And you will hear things that you don't agree with. And not just because you may not agree with an African female, African American female, about her experience, it may be because two African-American females are not going to agree with each other about their experience, right? So there's always room for disagreement or alternative points of view when we're talking about the human condition. (laughs) But as a white man who's embarking on the project of listening, put aside that temptation to argue and instead... And don't expect to win anything and instead accept that discomfort that will come about uh, when you may disagree, accept that that impulse is going to happen and just don't act on it. Listen instead. If anything, rather than argue uh, a point, say, tell me more about that. I want to understand. I'm not fully getting it.
1: It seems like it would be pretty heavy to live your life going around listening Mm -hmm. to that depth all the time. Mm -hmm. How can I recognize when there is a good time to talk or I'm not uh, setting up camp in someone else's life? Mm -hmm. How do you bridge that gap to have a conversation that may be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for one or both of us?
0: It's tricky because obviously... No one sort of wants to just be this token person <laughs> where it's like, oh, I'm lesbian? Oh yeah, I've got a lot to say about, I don't know, Trump winning and its imp- and Pence, Vice President Pence. And you might be like, so you, or you as a woman, what did you think about this? And we might feel sort of put on the spot and a token. And yet at the same time, how else are you gonna learn and listen to people, right? And I think that there's, that's again a two-sided coin and it is the same with people who are going through illness or loss. You may ask somebody that question, hey, what's this like for you? I want to know with a caveat that says, I don't know if you're tired of answering this question. I don't know if it makes you uncomfortable. You could be like, I don't know what you think about this, but I do want to understand better that makes sense? And give a person an opportunity to opt out so that they don't feel that they have to. They don't have to educate you in that moment, which is something that people can get kind of tired of doing. Um, So give people the opportunity to opt out by saying, you may be tired of talking about this. You may not want to talk about it, but I want you to know that I am really interested in understanding more. I want to do a better job at this. Um, I don't know if you can do that easily with encounters with strangers, for example, but what you can do is hear opportunities for people to, for example, uh, say you have a black friend who's, this just happened to me, has um, his tire on the back wheel got stolen, so then he had to carry his bike without a back wheel. He's like, I don't want anybody to think I stole this, right? And then I can just ask, does that happen a lot? That's it. Instead of saying, oh, I'm sure no one would think you stole it, right? Doing that optimist thing. Or instead of um, ignoring it entirely. So listening for some openings like that I think is really important.
1: How do you shift into that listening space? Because I think you know, maybe you're at work and you're just working, mm-hmm. and then someone tells you something that's personal or hard uh, loss or discrimination. Mm-hmm. How do you move into this listening
0: space? So glad you asked that. When you practice this and these things like, what's that like for you? Tell me more. How's it going today? Is <laughs> another one. It, once you get used to it, it's just part of how you engage with people. It's not putting on another role. Does that make sense? It's just, oh man, tell me about that. And what you find is that maybe it takes another 20 minutes, or not 20 minutes, you don't want that when you're at the office place, but say it takes another two minutes of the conversation that actually is two minutes that you have. If you really don't have that two minutes, if you really are running somewhere, then don't ask for follow-up and say, man, I would love to hear more about this. And I gotta go, you know, and maybe pick it up later. So I've done that quite often where I've said, I've picked up later, I've even emailed people to say, you know, you were talking about this and I actually want to hear more. Is that okay? And people are always, people love being interesting. (laughs) So if you write them or talk to them and say, I'm actually curious what more you have to say about this, it's a great opportunity for people. But don't feel that you have to drop everything to listen to somebody in the moment. Because if you pretend that you're interested and have the time, but you don't, and you say, oh, I've got to go, right when someone gets really vulnerable, then, then they feel like totally dust, and that's not good.
1: How do you initiate a conversation that's gone cold, uh, that was never really finished?
0: Give me an example. What do you mean? When you say a conversation that wasn't finished
1: just in general, but a a friendship Mm -hmm. that was going on, but it just fizzled out, maybe misunderstanding or maybe nothing that serious. Maybe it's just a friendship that you miss. I mean, maybe this isn't, not as much about listening right now, but reconnecting.
0: I have a a line that I uh, use in the workshop I do around this. It's, if you care, your care belongs. So you may feel that after a period of time has passed, you don't know if your care belongs in this person's life. Will they rebuff it? And I have learned through many mistakes and now having done this work, to always reach out if that's the care that you have. If you don't care and you just feel you should, I wouldn't bother. If you care, it is never too late. I always say there's never an expiration date. (laughs) And it may be that that person doesn't respond to you, that they don't give you an authentic answer. That can happen, but you have to initiate anyway because first of all, it's what's in your heart, and secondly, Most of the time people will appreciate it, really, really. A lot of times what people want also is not always to tell a story and tell it over multiple sessions with you, right? Like a lot of times they just wanna be noticed. And so if you reach out to somebody because you've heard that they're going through something really difficult uh, or you're concerned, about sort of the current climate, political climate, and how they might be doing, just reach out and just show that you notice. And that may be plenty.
1: Are there, I want to say, hot tips?
0: Yes, there are rules. I have my one rule. It's the three-second rule. So say somebody says something to you, and there's a pause. And normally with a pause, you think, okay, now I'm supposed to jump in and say something. And that's usually when that fix-it impulse comes in, with I'm either going to adjust the perspective here, I'm going to give the information that I have around this problem, like, oh, I just read an article on that, our impulse is to jump in, don't. Three second rule, wait three seconds. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi before bringing up anything yourself because very often someone will spit, will fill that silence with more. And I now wait five seconds. And again, as a New Yorker, this was really, really tough for me, but it has, it, it's huge. And the benefit of it, of course, is because somebody else gets to share their story, and that's what your goal is, is to be supportive and build rapport and to generate understanding. But the second great thing about the three-second rule is then you don't have to find this elusive, wise thing to say you actually do less work. It's less painful when you just listen. But what's hard for a white men listening project is for what you may be a concept about how women are uh, positioned in this society, about how we understand uh, gender identity issues or how we understand people of color, right? You may, for you, this is all just some abstract concept. But for us it's vulnerable it's our personal experience it's our personal history and that's where it gets tricky because you may be tempted to argue with a concept and that may even feel respectful and productive like i'm engaged i'm curious i'm i want to do this i'm not running away i'm in this with you so you may want to respond Uh, before three seconds, because we're building an intellectual understanding. But when someone's sharing something vulnerable, that's not the time to put on that intellectual understanding. That's the time to kind of be a different listener, one whose main job is just to hear and receive somebody else's experience. You may have, and it happens all the time, like things may come up for you as someone else is talking. Like, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Or I know someone like this. Well, actually, my friend said that. Da, 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 da. Don't heed <laughs> those voices. Heed the three second rule. Wait three seconds, maybe even five, before following that up. If you actually give somebody a lot of space, to talk about their story, it doesn't even have to be a very long conversation, because they feel heard. And so many of us are talking and talking because we want to be heard. And so we may say it over and over and over, because you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. You're not listening to me. But if you feel listened to, it could be done in just a few minutes we can actually try a, an exercise now.
1: Yeah, I would I'd love to
0: do that. Yeah, where you have two minutes um, to share your experience with something and um, see what that feels like. Now, you will not be the one to practice, in this instance, um, the listening skill. We're going to have Rebecca on your team here, your producer, to... Um, practice listening to you, and you get a chance to see what it's like to talk uninterrupted for two minutes. Rebecca has no agenda. She has nothing to say back to you. There will be no response. It's just you sharing what you care to share. Uh, The question that I'm going to ask you about is, in today's climate right now, What is it like to be a white, straight male?
2: So what is it like uh, in today's climate to be a straight, white male?
1: Uh, So there's two things, I think, that I feel. um, One is it's almost like a spotlight in a way, uh, especially since the election uh, of Donald Trump. Uh, It felt like whiteness and maleness, uh, heterosexuality, uh, was highlighted as the norm in this country. Uh, And it also feels like there's more responsibility behind it. Uh, I guess... I'm saying is, at least for myself, I've had to acknowledge that there are things I haven't had to worry about. You know, being white, I don't feel discriminated against. Uh, And I've acknowledged that, living in Los Angeles. So I don't feel that people look at me and have an idea about me, generally. I could walk just about anywhere and feel safe, and that's part of being a man. And I don't feel like anyone's going to make advances on me. I feel like I can, the sky's the limit. Um, being straight, you know, nobody's going to judge me for kissing my girlfriend in public or holding her hand. Uh, I could go just about anywhere in the world. You know, I could go to the Middle East and not cover my head. Uh, I think these are things that I've had to accept, and it's been, yeah, you know, it's been like owning responsibility. This those two minutes. I don't know if that made any sense.
2: <laughs> was that already two minutes? That was, the that was so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time I was like thinking about questions to ask you, but then being like, stop thinking, listen to Graham. Mm. That was really hard. We should probably do this like on a regular basis. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> two minutes. Go. I'm not minutes. talking. Yeah. <laughs> this is all you.
2: Can I ask you another question? What is it like as I'm sitting here, like trying so hard mentally to focus on what you're saying without wanting to put my own Here's my opinion on this. How how does it feel being on the receiving end of this? Me just, like, sitting here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, not even, like, a, like I'm literally, like, biting my lips to not open my mouth. <laughs> like, what does that feel like?
1: Well, I think part of it, too, is speaking as a, a straight white guy. Like, this whole project is for me to shut up. And, you know, you turn on the TV and it's a straight white guy talking into the camera, telling you how to feel and what to think. So, I mean, I feel self-conscious about, like, what do I have to say? So, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to tell about your story, what you think and what you feel. And I guess I am going to just go around and ask people to do that very thing. So, yeah, it feels great to be a straight white guy. <laughs>
0: well,
2: this is, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> listening is Listening is not easy.
0: One thing that's um, interesting that came up is you responded with a joke. It was funny. But, of course, that's you thinking he wanted your opinion about it. Yeah. And he doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, not in that moment. Um, and it's really hard for us to not offer up our assessment of what someone is saying. But when we do that, it will shut down your going deeper with it. Instead, even though you have that impulse, to say, thanks for sharing that. Does that make sense? Um, It's not just hard for straight white men to listen, right? Yeah. Um, And I think on some level, we're asking straight white men to do something that's really hard for all of us. Recognizing our shared humanity beyond all the identities that we're trying to understand and unpack. And recognizing some of the practices, the methodologies for tuning into that shared humanity is really important. And so one of them being, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Mm. thanks for sharing.
1: <laughs> Buddy.
0: <laughs> you know, we're very comfortable talking about what we already know. <laughs> uh, a lot less comfortable talking or being in conversation around something that we don't know that well. So a lot of this is about recognizing I feel uncomfortable, whether because I'm just not used to silence or because I'm not used to being in a conversation where I have very little experience and much to offer, and just trusting that even though that feels uncomfortable, don't run away. Hang in there just for a few seconds honestly you know just for a few seconds and see what happens and trust that just by listening you have added so much
1: i think that's hard for a lot of people some negative feelings happen sitting with it with someone else Mm -hmm. is very hard uh, because you You want to fix it. Mm
0: -hmm. You want to
1: put a positive spin on it. You want to keep life moving. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people just want to be where they are
0: emotionally. And that, ironically, that's how they let it go. So that we will help us heal from some of the trauma of being marginalized by society uh, just by even letting people talk about it and not be ridiculed, and not be judged, and not be questioned. Just that alone is a huge step on the individual level. Because when you do tap into other people's shared humanity, you are more human yourself. That does lead to happiness, Mm -hmm. connection, and just a deeper understanding of the human experience.
1: And even talking about something like this uh, does seem to reaffirm the good parts about life or being a human, and that it's possible to find connection and seeing some of your work, that uh, that's a real thing. It's kind of convincing yourself that it's worth getting to the other side of the fear, the inconvenience, to find that connection.
0: I'd say my biggest piece of advice around that is to really believe that when you listen to someone else, you are not losing your own story. You are giving space for somebody else's. And that there may be times where your story doesn't belong in that moment. And that doesn't make it any less valid. It just makes it not now. And trust that by listening to somebody else and giving a lot of room for somebody else's story that you are giving a tremendous gift. And it's a gift that will be returned to you.
1: Would you be able to kind of guide us through why listening is important
0: now? Mm-hmm, hmm I think right now... All of us have become talked at through our various media and social media feeds. I think we, you know, social media is a way that we engage with each other where we don't have to listen. It's all about how we respond. And the presence of listening, it's not, it's not, uh, you don't notice it online. And we're losing our capacity. To listen so it, this is sort of a a trait that we need to start developing with our personal encounters as much as possible to really to fight against this trend of just being talked at and talking to I also think that it's so important right now because no matter where you're from or who you are People are feeling like their story doesn't matter. And right now, you as a white man are trying to affirm other people's stories that they matter, right? People who are not white men, that you matter, taking the time to listen. You're doing that. And it's something that all of us need to do for each other in some capacity or other. If we don't, then we will just live in these tribal groups of people who are just like us. And then once you're with that tribal group, and you're still not learning to listen, you're going to splinter off to the point where you're just alone. So we need to start connecting beyond our tribes, even so that we can connect better within our tribes.
1: White Guy Listening is produced by Graham High and Rebecca Breithaupt. To watch a short film of this conversation, or for other episodes, please visit our website at straightwhiteguylistening.com or follow us at SWGListening on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The SWGL team is Morgan Hanner, Jen Lopez, Alexis Schmidtberger. Sunanda and Brittany High. Special thanks to Dr. Kelsey Crow and her family, to Altimeter Films and the Eisenberg Group, to Rob Schulte and Shauna McGarry. All music composed by Pottington Bear and provided by the Free Music Archive. There is no good card for this what to do and say when life is scary, awful, and unfair to the people you love is available on all major outlets. The book also features beautiful illustrations by co-author Emily McDowell. For more information on Kelsey and her work, visit helpeachotherout.org. Thank you for listening.